chapter 1, and we'll be in verse 17 through 21. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word to us and we thank you uh, again that, that you have brought us here as a family and, and that we get to see this, this taste of heaven where, um, where the redeemed are gathered together and I, I just thank you for that and for the, the encouragement and the, and the built-upness that, that we all receive from each other. And I pray that uh, during this time, as we read through your word, as we, uh, as we break down parts of your word, God, that you would let it sit heavy on our hearts, that you would not let us walk out these doors without a renewed sense of who you are and who you are calling us to be. And then, God, would you give us the power to be able to read this, to be able to... Um, to do what the text is calling us to do. It's only by you. Would you be with us? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in high school, I skipped football practice to be in our theater's production of The Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, as much as it pains me, here's what that looked like. That, that's me on the left, in case you're wondering. But... Uh, and you can see my, my diamond stud. I only had it in one ear at the time. Just weird transition time for me. And then the other one has... Uh, so that was actually the play, T-Town, Terrell. Um, but anyway, so I always thought that it was funny in rehearsal to say, uh, like when I forgot my lines because it was constantly. Um, I would just say like, well, what's my motivation here? Um, like I just thought that was funny for some reason. And so every time I forgot a line, it's like, Lucy, you are so brave and... Now, what's my motivation here? But the, uh, the director, she was very kind. She said, um, I'll tell you what your motivation is. If you don't learn your lines, I'm going to tell coach that you're skipping practice to come put makeup on. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> I'll do that. That, that works. I, I learned my lines after that. Um, but yeah, I, I was Aslan uh, in the Narnia play. But our text today calls us to conduct ourselves with fear what does that mean? Psalm 147 describes fear in this way. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those, those who hope in his steadfast love. So then to fear is to stand in awe of God Almighty. It's to take refuge in him and him alone and to hope in his steadfast love, the never-ending love. We're to conduct ourselves. We're to live our entire lives with this kind of fear, if you will. We're to emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally place our hope, our livelihoods, our strength, our security, our safety, our well-being, everything onto Christ in fear. It's a lovely command because when we do fear, we find oceans of joy. But we don't so much see that, you and I. Because of our sin, we barely dip our toes in the water. We find ourselves not hoping, 
not fearing, not standing in awe of anything about God. And so we go on in life placing our fear in men or in our things or, or placing our hope there. The truth is, we need a proper motivation from God. So we all, just like Jake in high school, what's my motivation here? Hey, we got this text. We need to ask, what is going to sustain us in the Christian life? What is it that the men and women of this dispersion, um, when they are being kicked out of their homes, they, they lived in Rome, they were blamed for something they didn't do, when they're being kicked out and they're having to go find new homes, new places to live, uh, what's the motivation for them to stand firm in this faith? You and I are living in, in the midst of just horrible atrocities every single day that we hear about and then, of course, ones that we don't hear about are still happening. And if that wasn't enough, we have our own stuff going on. Maybe our marriage is just hard right now. We want to be loving to each other, we think, but nothing seems to be loving right now. Or maybe our kids are literally seven different people at different points throughout the day. Just keeping up with them is exhausting, let alone trying to be a good parent. Or maybe that one temptation has come up like 1,100 times today and we can't remember why it is that we keep from doing that thing in this moment. Or maybe we're in the midst of just a few days full of sin and we feel just the guilt weighing heavy on our chest. Maybe we just lost a parent or a grandparent. Or maybe we just had another round of chemo. Maybe we just went another night of hearing things and sleeping horribly or we, maybe we want to feel joy, we want to feel saved, we want to go to church, we want to, want to worship, but we just don't have it in us. What's our motivation? What is going to help us in these moments? When life truly happens, what is going to motivate us then? When everything in us just wants to give up on this whole Christianity thing, because surely, surely that has to be easier. What's going to sustain us then? Just think about your own life for a second. What motivates you most of the time? And does it work? This is why God is writing this letter. To show his people the true motivation, the true sustenance, the true and real and actual power that will keep us, that will sustain us and uphold us when we, uh, and, and when we fail, when we fall, it's gonna restore us. We're gonna walk through the text and see for ourselves what this motivation is because the truth is we desperately need it. But the bigger truth is it's right here. So let's look at verse 17 again. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear, with an awe of God Almighty. Why? Because if we don't, then things will go wrong? Is that the proper motivation here? I mean, that's true. And in, in mo in most often, like if we do not obey God, things will not go well for us. That's true. But the truth is it won't sustain us. Knowing that won't sustain us. I heard a, uh, a pastor, he told a group of men that the one thing that helped him to get over his addiction to pornography was when he went to serve at an organization where he met women who were trafficked and sold into um, industries where they had to film pornographic scenes. And he said, when I would look at images after that, I couldn't see anything but these women and their faces and I knew their names and that's what did it for me. I no longer look at pornography. 
Seven months later, he was disqualified from his position because of issues with prostitution that began with pornography on his computer. His motivation was wrong. Our motivation to conduct ourselves with fear is not because God is watching us, waiting with a a lightning bolt to strike us if we do wrong, nor is it found in the good things that will come to us if we do good things. That's called karma and biblically heretical. We might be the most faithfully obedient human in Forney or Kaufman County, but horrible things are still gonna happen to us. Christianity is to suffer here on earth. And we might be a horrible person and still see God's common grace to all humans. That means our motivation to fear God should never be in the reward for obeying or in the curse for disobeying. These are amazing things. Like, don't get me wrong. They are amazing things to think about and to ponder and they're extremely appropriate. And we should have a good idea of, you know what? This, This won't go well for me. And this will go well for me. But those will not sustain us in the hard times. When the rubber meets the road, when life is truly happening, when that sin is right there, only one thing can sustain us. Only one thing will. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our true motivation to fear God is in the gospel. What is the gospel? It's a term that some unbelievers think is a form of music. I did before I came to believe. Um, And then when I got into Acts 29 where they talked about being gospel-centered. I was like, so they like that music? I don't know. Um, And it's a term that some camps of Christian, they believe that it's just the ABCs of Christianity, that you you, you understand the gospel, you know that, and then you can move on to other things like end times or, or whatever. But it's also a term that we as a church, a body of believers, have hitched ourselves to and said that we are going to be gospel-centered and focused in everything that we do. And we're not going to operate under any other banner. Everything we do from mission kids to greeting, it's all under the banner of the gospel. So we have to understand what the gospel is and why it is so important. That's where we find ourselves in verse 18. Why are we to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile, which would be our time here on earth? One reason, one reason alone, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed. So when you hear the word ransom, think of a person who is owned as a slave. The owners are, in essence, holding them hostage, if you will, until a payment is made on behalf of their lives. If they do the work, they will spare their lives. If not, then they'll just kill them, just like a hostage crisis. The slave has no control over anything at this point. They're completely at the mercy of anyone who does have the ability to pay that ransom. If we are believers in the room, this slavery is where you and I once lived. What enslaved us? Sin. We were held captive by our sin, and this makes total sense for us who are sinners because it's by compulsion. It's by nature. It it happened, and we look around like, how did I end up here again? This is what the text describes when it says, you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That's a reference to our original parents from whom we inherited sin, Adam and Eve. This way is futile. Why? Because the sinner's end is eternal torment. 
We are enslaved by sin unto a horrible death because we cannot pay the ransom on our own with our own good works. No slave owner lets us go for that, especially not sin. And so we're destined to an eternity of destruction and torment and we need to be ransomed and we are. By what? Well, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. This is placed in the text because the normal ransoming that these men and women, when they would read this, they knew exactly what they were talking about. Like ransoming, okay, yeah, that's when a slave was bought with gold or with silver. Peter says, no, not us, not believers. We were bought, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Standing at the foot of the cross, we see his hands and his feet and his side all with this streams of precious blood. It's precious because it's redeeming and it's atoning. By this blood, the sins of Christ's people are atoned for. They are redeemed from under the impossible to keep law. They are reconciled back to God, made one with him. When the judge who judges impartially, he can see every one of our deeds. And when we're sitting before him and he's got this list of deeds in his hands at the judgment, he will see nothing but Jesus' deeds because of the blood that we will be covered in. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Through Jesus' blood, there is not a spot of sin left on any believer. Not any such thing remains. It makes us clean. It removes the stain of constant sin and lets us stand accepted in the presence of the Father despite the many ways in which we've rebelled against him. And we have. The Old Testament law stated that a substitute, a sacrifice, was to be slain at the altar to cover the sins of the people. Like there, there is no getting out of, of hell free. Like there will always be blood that was spilled. They would kill the young lamb with no imperfection so that the blood could effectively cover their sins, the innocent in place of the guilty. Jesus became the true and better spotless lamb that was slain for you and I. Leviticus describes blood as the life of a creature, which is why murdered is considered such an abomination. You spill the life of the person. Yet the murder of Jesus was allowed his life was spilled, his blood was spilled to cover believers in sin and in faith. It's our new life. We will stand before the Father, the one who judges, judges impartially, and he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant, because of, uh, of Jesus' atoning work, because of this precious blood. Do you view the blood of Christ as precious? Do you value this new life more than sin? Just in case these words didn't bring to mind enough of Jesus for these men and women, God through Peter goes on to say that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. The word foreknown recalls what we spoke of in verse one a few weeks back when he begins the letter. He says, you are elect exiles. You were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. And now just to bring this uh, point home more fully and more, uh, more fully, he just essentially says, but even more important than the fact that you were chosen, that you were foreknown before the foundation of the world, Jesus was chosen. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world to be this sacrifice for the sake of you. 
God made him manifest in this time. And listen, this is God's plan from before the foundation of the world. When he just when he's outside of the construct of time and he looks down and he saw humanity, sinful humanity that separates us from God, he sends his son. He sent Jesus to live a life we could not live, to die a death we deserve to die, and to raise again to new life that you and I may be able to do that too. It was all, just like the text says, for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The hope of the gospel that reigns us in from sinfully trying to work for our salvation, but also reigns us in from being down upon ourselves for any lack of obedience. Any guilt that we throw on ourselves or any pride that we have in ourselves show that we do not value the precious blood of Christ. According to all of this good news, we now conduct ourselves with fear and awe and amazement and wonder before our Father in heaven. And rightfully so, when we see the blood of Jesus and God's plan in the gospel, we live as though the ransom paid for us was precious. We live as though the glory we will have one day is real. Whenever you think of the glory of your risen Lord, remember what your redemption cost him. And quit all the dead works. Lay aside care and anxiety and live in the newness of life as though those who have been redeemed by the risen Savior. It is only by the news of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection that we live our lives. The gospel is our only true sustaining motivation when we are tempted to sin, when we are reminded of past sins when we have nothing but a heavy chest and heart because of our sin that we just committed, when we begin to lose all hope in anything, when we are legitimately praying for God to just take us home, that would be easier. Nothing will pick us up but the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's work on our behalf. After graduation, uh, one of my best friends growing up just kind of dropped off the face of the planet uh, she got into some uh, really bad crowds and just never saw her, never heard from her again. Uh, until one day, I get a call from a random number, and it was her. Uh, she told me that she needed someone to come and pick her up. Her boyfriend had beaten her to a pulp and left her on the side of the road. So I go and help her grab her stuff, and we stopped at CVS to get her some bandages and food, and that's where she told me, yeah, I've been selling methamphetamines and heroin. And I've been abusing methamphetamines and heroin. And he just left me there. So we found a place for her to stay for the week. And as we're walking out of CVS, she tells me, hey, I know you've been going to church. Can I go with you? I was amazing. I was just, that was amazing to me to hear. So we go that Sunday, and after worship, they bring out this couch. And they set it on the stage, and people come out and sit on the couch. And then the lights come on and they start talking and it's this mock small group. It's like a skit. And every now and then they would stop talking, they would freeze, they would pause. And then the pastor would come out and he would say, and this is what we talk about in our small groups. It's real life stuff, blah, 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 blah. Literally the only mention of the name of God was mentioned in a joke. 
A man said, Chick-fil-A is my drug, but you know, not like heroin or anything. Thank God. After 30 minutes or so of garbage exactly like that, service was over and I was utterly speechless. No mention of Jesus, no mention of this blood at all. She hasn't been back to church since. There's nothing in this world, there's absolutely nothing in the church of God even, more important than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, by everything in the power that the Spirit provides, have to make sure to be centered on this truth. Otherwise, we teeter and we totter just too far down the, down the road of legalism or down the road of grace. We have to be centered here. If we have a thousand programs and an amazing light show and a concert like worship set where we can bring on a couch and a huge building and thousands of people but we fail to preach the gospel, what's the point? The reason we're going through the training that you read in your letter um, is so that we can send teams to the hardest places on the globe to live, let alone be a follower of Jesus, is because we've been entrusted with the good news of the gospel and we want to do everything we can to make sure this news gets out to the people across the globe who haven't heard of it. The reason we have a kids' ministry is so that men and women grow in sharing the gospel and then our kids get to hear it. The reason we pray is found at the end of our prayer when we say, in Jesus' name. That's the only way we can pray. There's literally no other way by which we are able to knock on the door. Sinners without Jesus have no access. The reason we spent eight years putting chairs up and down and moving all over the place of Forney is because the gospel meant so much more than all the hard work. This means now that you and I have a power to fight sin. This also means that when we sin, we have a power to confess it, to turn to God in repentance because we have this blood that paid for even that sin. It may be embarrassing, but in Christ, it is no longer condemning. 1 Timothy 1 says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been transformed by the precious blood of Christ. And now, you and I live as examples to the people in Talty and Forney and Kaufman County, Dallas and beyond, that they may know the same truth. That's the only reason. And this is why we conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time that we're here on earth. And we do so because we have been shown such a beautiful love and such a beautiful mercy. We do it so that other men and women see in us an example to follow. We do it so that other men and women see uh, the work of Christ before you. They say, well, how are you able to live in such a way? Only one way. It makes the answers really easy. But the only way we actually and truly do it is by knowing the gospel over and over and over and over and over again, knowing that you were ransomed. In the same regard, as we move to the sacrament of communion, 
It's the thing that we do every week. We do so with this in mind. This sacrament is a reminder of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And for those who are believers through Jesus by his blood, you guys are welcome to the table. If you're not a believer through Jesus or if you're currently forsaking this precious blood by remaining unrepentant in your sin, I ask that you remain in your seat. First Corinthians, read that you would, eat, you would be eating and drinking of this body and blood in an unworthy way. If you're unrepentant, listen, there's nothing standing in your way of confessing your sin to God in this time except for you. Take hold of the grace given to you by the ransoming by this blood. For unbelievers, just listen to God's word. God says it much better than any of us. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation, believe today. Turn from your sin today. There is no other way to eternal life, and there is no other truth that will sustain your life here. For all of us, here's our prayer. Father, we admit that we need this body and blood to cover our lack of conducting ourselves with fear before God. Would you, by your grace, help us to remember this gospel that we may live according to the blood of Christ. So take your time to, to pray to God, to pray to your Father. And uh, when you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room. Go and grab those and bring them back to your seat and we'll take them together here in a minute. the good news of Jesus Christ for salvation for sinful human beings the true problem of, of this whole life for any of us and so we come back to this truth over and over and over again the song that we're about to sing says there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. May we all live our lives according to this same truth. It's all possible because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood, my precious blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, when when life happens to each one of us, would you remind us of the gospel? 
would you remind us of this ransoming, not with, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ? Would you let this truth give us hope? Would you let this truth help us to stand firm in the midst of everything that's going to come because everything is coming? God, would you give us the grace and peace of remembering this gospel every day? Help us to fight to remember this truth. And in all of it, we thank you. There is no good news without you. There is no gospel of Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ. Without you, God, we are stuck in the bad news of our sin. So we thank you for the mercy and the grace that you would step down to save people like us. Continue to root us all in this same truth. And it is completely and totally and only in Jesus' name that we pray this.